For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to another episode of Real Talk with Zuby. On today's episode, we have got on a comedian, an author, and the creator of Titania McGrath. This is Andrew Doyle. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So today, are you appearing as Andrew or as um, Titania? Which one is it? Definitely Andrew. Yeah. I can't, I can't do that thing of, of pretending to be her. I'm not an actor. I'm not an improviser. It won't work. <laughs> Fair enough. I know you're good, you're good at identifying as female. I don't think I can pull it off. That's your thing. You know? it, is, it is my thing. It is my thing. As it suits me. Um, yeah. I'm gender fluid. So it's, 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 it's actually really handy. It's fantastic. Like you can, you, you sort of get the best of both worlds, really. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Andrew, for people who aren't familiar with you, um, tell them a little bit about who you are. Uh, well, I'm. Uh, my background is in stand-up comedy. I've been doing stand-up comedy for about 16 years, something of that kind. Um, mostly shows at the Edinburgh Fringe and in London. And uh, I did a tour last year, sort of national tour of various art centres and that kind of thing. Uh, I also write satirical things. So uh, I spent three years write, co-writing the Jonathan Pye character. I... Um, have a character which I've developed over the last two years called Titania McGrath, who is the um, a kind of um, a satire of the very kind of prissy, intersectional feminist, but very privileged, but wanting to be oppressed all the time. That kind of uh, character who's on Twitter mostly, but she's written two books, uh, the second of which has just come out, which is aimed at children, which is called My First Little Book of Intersectional Activism. Um, and that's, well, ostensibly aimed at kids. But actually, I, I sent it to a friend of mine recently and her husband thought it was a ki for the kid, the four-year-old kid. <laughs> it looks like it. Gave it to her, and she was delighted. And then, of course, they had to carefully take it away from her because, of course, it's full of swear words and really inappropriate <laughs> things. And you know, but in a way, it's a good sign because it means that it looks like a kid's book, and it it looks like something they would like. You know? Yeah, man. So I'm curious to, um, you know, I've watched a lot of different interviews with you. You've been on on a lot of big shows, some of the biggest podcasts in the world. And um, I'd like to learn a little bit more about your your sort of backstory. So okay. a lot of times, you know, everyone's always talking about the, the culture war and wokeness and intersectionality yeah. and all that. And, and we can get into that. But I'm curious to know what it is that sort of led you to this stage. So tell us a little bit more about your background and how this all started. How did you even get into comedy and then eventually enter this whole world of commentary? interesting no one ever asked me this but it is more it is more interesting than the other mm. stuff in a way like um well i started i used to write 
um, comedy sketches and plays and all that kind of thing at university. And then um, I I did a sketch show in London uh, with two other acts. And effectively what happened is this was at a place called the Canal Cafe Theatre in Little Venice, um, which is a lovely little pub fringe venue. You know, it's where the League of Gentlemen started. Um, and we put on this show and we we're about five or six minutes short of, we didn't have a whole show and we only realized that in the dress rehearsal and so I was like okay well what can we do that's quick and easy to fill the space and I wrote a stand-up set which I performed it wasn't very good it didn't really work but I enjoyed it a lot when we did it so I, I sort of got the bug then and then I started um, writing and performing stand-up and at the time I was a teacher mm. and um, eventually I was earning enough from stand-up comedy and, and and playwriting and writing musicals and that kind of thing to uh to go part-time so I went part-time for a while and then I ended up um full-time writer and comic um and then I sort of got I I, you know the 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 culture war stuff I got dragged into it just because obviously as satirists or comedians we're always mocking the things that we think are wrong with society we're always looking at the vices and follies of society and trying to expose them and so inevitably I ended up talking about this because it's something I cared about I could see how authoritarian all of this was and where things were going wrong and I wanted to to mock it but I was mocking other things as well. I was mocking the government. I was, you know, my stand-up comedy, a lot of it wasn't political at all uh, until Brexit happened. So it just it just sort of was a natural thing. I will respond to whatever's going on in the world. And also, I think because I came from that background, um, I, did, I, I was going to be an academic many, many years ago. I, I, I got my doctorate at Oxford. I was also a part-time lecturer there. And I was at Wadham College, which is like the most progressive or what they would call the most progressive of the co- of the colleges. And um, uh, I was sort of steeped in this kind of postmodern, post-structuralist, Foucauldian thing, which had, at the time was completely had completely taken over the humanities and English literature in particular. So I so I had all that background in that stuff so that when this stuff went into the mainstream, I had a kind of in a, I just knew what it was about and I knew where it had come from. And I could see the connections between what's going on now and what what was being written and proposed then by academics, so I, I just felt in a good position to talk about it, and that's that's sort of what happened. That's really interesting. What what was it that you studied at Oxford? So I well my my I, my doctorate was on early uh, well early modern poetry specifically, um, uh, partic- particularly three poets: uh, William Shakespeare, Sir Philip Sidney, and Richard Barnfield. Um, and uh, it was are these all evil white men? Evil white men, yeah. But because I was talking about sexuality and, and things like that, so Richard Barnfield was almost certainly gay. Shakespeare, who the hell knows, but probably gay. And so there, there was, there was obviously I was engaging with all that stuff about Foucault wrote a book called The History of Sexuality um, and, and, and a lot of anything to do with gender or sexuality when it comes to literary criticism at the time took a kind of queer theorist, post-structuralist, feminist view of things. And therefore I read all that stuff, but I didn't, accept it I, I, I basically rejected it and so a part of my thesis was was a, a kind of repudiation of that stuff so that's what that's where I was at really and also because okay. I was teaching the the Shakespeare module to the undergraduates it meant I had to be familiar with all of the Shakespeare plays because it, it was in it, it was in the form of tutorials so I would have two students at a time and each group of two would would want to do different plays from the canon so I effectively had to have them all sort of ready and, and, and waiting to go so that was a really useful thing so it gave me that sort of grounding um, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's interesting. That's and, and that's, I suppose, why, why, why Titani is a poet as well. I've got the, the backgrounds in poetry, you know. Most definitely. Um, and when was it that you started to become alarmed about some of these ideas being 
taken very seriously outside of academia and starting to steep into the mainstream? What was the sort of year where you were like, hmm, there's something there's something going on here? So I've been trying to work this out. Like, I've always been aware that you have to continually fight for free speech in any society, that it's not a given. Mm -hmm. And you know that from looking at history. It's something that you just have to sort of continually refresh, you know, and continually remind yourself why it's important. And I could, there's always been those threats, hasn't there? You know, um, there's always been people pushing for censorship rather than discussion. And, and that's something that I guess it's just human nature because you just, you want the things that you, you find rebarbative and disagreeable just to go away. And, and, and I, and I guess we all have to resist those kind of authoritarian instincts. We all have to do that. And as a society, we have to do that. And I could see this was happening more and more. What was interesting to me, because I guess my background was from the left, was that it was coming from the left now. And when I was growing up, whenever you had these sort of campaigns to ban a film or ban a book, they were coming from the right-wing tabloids. They were coming from the Daily Mail or the Express. I mean, I'm thinking particular things like David Cronenberg's Crash or Trainspotting, the Irvin Welsh film, and, and so, or the Danny Boyle film, whichever way you want to look at it. And um, so now all of a sudden, though, it was coming from The Guardian and it was coming from The New Statesman. It was these kind of, and they were using the same kind of sensorial language and, and the same theories. I mean, the same debunked media effects theories that would suggest that, popular culture has this kind of trickle-down effect on the behaviour of the, the, the public. And, you know, we know that's not, that, that's that's generally been debunked. There's all sorts of catalysts to people's behaviour. I'm not saying there isn't. Mm. Uh, but the, the, the straightforward monkey-see-monkey-do uh, direct effects theory of media has been debunked after six decades of research. We know that isn't the case. And yet you have people now saying we need to censor forms of speech. Even, even jokes can normalise hatred because they will have this effect on the public. We know that's not true. So, so that that started. When was it? I reckon around 2015 it really kicked off. I mean, I know this had been sort of percolating away in the early 2010s, where you had this kind of perversion of political correctness. It wasn't just about politeness anymore. You know, I mean, I'm all for a society where we all we all agree that we have a social contract. You don't call each other racial slurs or or or, or you know you don't call gay people faggots or whatever. You know, you don't have this kind of uh, derogatory because we like to be polite and considerate and I'm all for decorum mm -hmm. and that's what for me political correctness was I think there was overreach every now and then you know where people would call the police or try and get someone fired but it was very rare but that through the new version of political correctness which we might call wokeness or whatever you want to call it that's the go-to thing the cancel culture thing that's the first port of call you know so if there's an uh, uh, I'll give you an example when the when the guy who edited the Waitrose magazine uh, someone contacted him wanting to write an article about veganism. And he wrote some flippant email back saying, oh, well, what will it be, you know, that we'll, uh, we'll round up the vegans and force them to eat meat or something. It was something really juvenile like that. Sure. It was a joke sure. email. And instead of her saying to him, look, that actually really upsets me and offends me, and can we have a conversation about that? Maybe go for a drink about it. She screenshot the email and, and pushed it, put it online and, and tries to publicly shame him. And in the end, he lost his job. That, that's cancel culture. That's the go-to thing. And that is what is disturbing about this new form of political correctness if you want to call it that which i generally don't because i i like to distinguish between what happened then the sort of pc of the early 80s of the late 80s early 90s and what is happening now so i reckon 2015 it really kicks off mm. trump's election is largely a response to it okay. but also exacerbates it i think it's both you know and i think all of the people who were screaming about this stuff in advance of trump's election suddenly took trump's election as, as vindication that the whole world is full of fascists and Nazis, right? So they did this thing where they decided in advance that anyone who votes for Trump is an evil fascist. 
and then Trump wins, and that gives them evidence that the the world is full of evil fascists. It didn't. They didn't stop to think. Well, maybe our original premise was wrong. <laughs> maybe yeah. the people who are working for Trump aren't evil fascists. Maybe yeah. they just want to shake things up and change things. You know. Yeah. There's there's been a lot of doubling down and tripling down, oh. and I think you know between Brexit and Trump in the UK and the USA. We've yeah. really seen those parallels. You, you're seeing. I mean, I think a lot of it stems from arrogance. You know, I think Maybe. when when yeah, I mean, I think when you know when when someone is proven wrong and they double down and triple down and quadruple down instead of just doing a little bit of reflection and thinking, hmm, maybe I was yeah. wrong. You know, maybe there was something wrong with my with my worldview. But instead, they say, ah, see, this is evidence, right? The the, the country is full of racists uh -huh. and fascists and you know KKK members and what. And you're just like come on like you know have have a bit of charity and a bit of humility here right if you're oh, if you're off yeah. base like which what is more likely that the usa and uk suddenly became full of fascists and racists and every you know 60 million plus of them in america and how many people voted for brexit was it 17 17, 17 yeah 17 million you know people yeah. who you're walking past every day who you're interacting with your kids are going to school with them whatever like what's more likely that you were your premise was off and that you, yeah. you know, or, or that all of these people secretly your whole life, they've just been there just stewing, just waiting, just waiting for this moment. And I'm like, you just wish <laughs> like they could apply Occam's razor when it comes to this stuff, but they, they don't. And, and that, that actually has really upset me because I have a great faith in humanity and I think people are smarter than we give them credit for. And, but this has made me rethink really a little bit, you know, why? Are you why just dismiss all these people that you know and love? I mean, I've lost so many friends over Brexit in particular because I was in favour of Brexit, mm. and the assumption that that, that that you know the fact that you we want to withdraw from an uh, economic trading block uh, makes you a racist. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. It really, it, 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 it honestly, and I'm not denying that, that there are racists out there, and you know, nobody is. <laughs> but literally, well, this is the other thing. Literally, no one's making that claim. No. Literally, no one is making that claim, and that's that's. So, yeah, it has shaken my faith in humanity just a little. That doubling down thing. I mean, whenever I, I and I know I shouldn't do it, but whenever I get on arguments on Twitter and, and, and when it comes to the point where I've proven them wrong, you know, they'll say, oh, you believe this. Or I had this one big account having a go at me saying, uh, you're an evil racist. You've never said anything about the plight of the Windrush generation. So I just linked him to a video of me talking about that very thing on Sky News. And he couldn't say I was wrong. He just start, doubled down, started calling me racist, or they couldn't do it. And I think what you're saying there about the ego um, has a lot to do with it, I, I, I guess. And, but actually, there's something really empowering and, and, and quite freeing about admitting you're wrong. I, 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 I always enter into these conversations with the assumption that I could be wrong about anything at any time. Because if you don't think that about yourself, you'll never improve and grow as a person. So I think, I think you're right that that's, that's part of it. Um, what makes me slightly nervous is that possibly a lot of people have bought into this idea genuinely yeah. believe that, yeah. that that there is this clandestine crypto fascism that's creeping um and that that in a sense is more worrying because the ego thing i can more readily understand but when 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 people are buying into a delusion a sort of mass delusion that's more frightening because you mm. you can't walk them out of that with ease can you yeah it's weird there's a lot of weird psychological phenomena that have been going on over the past few years like another one that that I've observed is people just seeming to have extremely short term memories, like mm. very, very short term memories, like people not being able to remember things that happened a couple months ago, let alone things that happened years ago, and put what's happening now in that context. 
So even with what we're just saying, right? Someone has known you, you know, maybe you have a friend who's known you for over 10 years, right? They know yeah. that you, they know, they know you're not racist. They know you're obviously not homophobic. They know you're not, um, you know, a fascist. They know you're not this, they know you're not, the, but then one issue they yeah. disagree with you on. And instead of taking everything into context and thinking about it, you know what? I know Andrew, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's not that, you know, I, I maybe I strongly disagree with him on this thing, but you know, why don't we have a chat and we can see what it is because, you know, surely it's not that he's, um, you know, xenophobic and racist, whatever, but instead it's just like, oh no, that's the thing. And it's just, yeah. it, it, like I said, it's just very, it's very uncharitable. And yeah. just, just in general, yeah, people seem to just forget that, I don't know, just stuff that happened again, even, even if you want to talk about the US, right, you're, people are talking about racism, etc. And it's like, is everyone forgetting that you had a black president for eight years? Yeah. Right. I think it was so, right. There's a weird <laughs> amnesia. And, yeah. and it goes through every, I see it all the time. Things like after Brexit, there were these people saying, well, uh, no one ever said that this would be uh, that this would be related to leaving the customs union. And then you go online and you look at the debate uh, about uh, the biggest debate at Wembley Arena, I think it was, which was the biggest televised debate about Brexit. Mm -hmm. Within the first five minutes, they're talking about the impact of leaving the single market and the customs union. It's like we've not only have we lost our memory, but we've got the Internet. You know, it's this incredible. I know they love that word gaslighting, yeah. but that's what they're doing all the time is they're just stating what we know not to be the case. I mean, it goes back to, you know, CNN last week having that Chiron saying largely peaceful protests while there's explosions and burning cars <laughs> in the background. It's, like, it's not just a, 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 an amnesia. Yeah. It's a deliberate attempt to to just falsify reality, just state the opposite of what is the of what is the case. It's really weird. And I think you can broaden it to I like this amnesia idea that you're raising because um. If you think about it, it relates to the whole uh, way that the Black Lives Matter movement and that kind of thing has conducted itself. Insofar as there's a kind of amnesia about the progress that has been made over the past 50 or 60 years. It's like things have never been worse. We're still living under Jim Crow. Like, you know, that, that there are still people who support slavery. I, you know, I, I, there's no one. You, could, you wouldn't be able to find a single person, right? But then when they tore down Edward Colston's statue, James O'Brien at LBC tweets out, However you feel about that statue is how you feel about slavery. Are you kidding? No, maybe some people just don't like mob rule. And maybe some people are just for liberal democracy and they don't, you know, it's so simplistic and, and infantile. And that's the other thing is as to why I think the woke side will lose because the liberal approach to, and by liberal, I mean traditionally liberal approach to these to, to these ideas, to, to challenging racism, sexism, homophobia, it works. We know it works because we've had 60 years of progress, incredible progress, by the way, like just mm -hmm. unbelievable progress. Um, so we've got that track record. But the woke stuff, even in the space of the last four or five months, has caused division, more racism, um, more, more antagonism. It, it, we know it doesn't work already. <laughs> so I, but, but you'd have to have an awareness of history. And, and like you say, a memory uh, about history in order to 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 reach this conclusion yeah absolutely i mean the 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 thing i think why people like myself and yourself and lots of others are so opposed to this woke ideology and the intersectionality and the you know putting race and gender and sexuality back at the top of the things that are important about a person is because it's it's literally the same thing that people have been fighting for all those decades to overcome. So when I'm seeing universities in the USA having racially segregated spaces, <laughs> yes. when, oh. when I'm seeing people being denied jobs because of their skin color or being refused promotion or people being chastised and attacked based on 
um, their gender or their or their race or whatever. I'm just like you're and 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 all under the banner of so-called progressivism. I'm just like yeah. you guys are calling me regressive. I'm like this is this is this is the regression. You're you're going back. You're undoing all of the stuff. I mean, the other day on Twitter, I, um, <laughs> a, a couple months ago, so not long ago, someone um said something to me, you know, they were upset about all this stuff. And they said, you know, like Martin Luther King would be rolling in his grave. And I said, um, if Martin Luther King were alive today, they'd be calling him a coon and an Uncle Tom. And then lo and behold, a week later, um, yeah. we're having a discussion and someone brought up MLK and someone said, oh, well, ML MLK was a sellout. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here we are. Like people are actually like hey anything you can anticipate is gonna happen like i i i know i make these jokes i did a joke as titania i tweeted out an image of goebbels and the nazis burning books in 1933 and i said this is so empowering this is um social justice activists decolonizing the curriculum at this university in 19 in the 1930s but i and now of course the, the yesterday there was a viral video of someone burning jk rowling's books anything you can even jedward even jedward said they were going to start burning her books you know yeah which I love is as though if you buy her book and burn it, she doesn't get the money. But I mean, we, anything you can think of. And now I'm starting to think, how far will it go? Like, like are, are they literally going to start mimicking Mein Kampf? How far can it go? There was a, a thing the other day, a podcast about how interracial marriage has made, has ennobled white supremacy. I saw that. I, saw, I, I, didn't, I didn't listen to the podcast, but I saw the headline. Okay. Well, this fear of miscegenation is one of the oldest racist Myths. It's one of the oldest uh, white supremacists. So that's someone literally advocating white supremacy in order to uh, attack white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So whatever you think about, I mean, the worst thing you can imagine, we're probably only a year away. Like, I, I don't, they, they, you know, I, I find it so depressing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's disturbing. Um, and it's weird because it's, it's one of those things that like, once you become conscious of it, you you see it you 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 can't like put the genie back in the bottle mm -hmm. like sometimes i wish that i were one of those people who were just sort of like very clueless about what's going on in culture and politics and whatever and yeah. I, I didn't even know what the word woke meant i didn't even know what an sjw was I did, i'd never heard of intersectionality like i sort of in a way i sort of missed that um yeah. mm -hmm. but it's like once you see it and you see where it's going and you see what people are saying and the rhetoric and what's going on. I mean, the other day in the US, you had that uh, situation where someone just walked up to a police car and shot into it. And they I shot, you know, and they shot to they shot to police officers. And then you look at the comments. Mm. And you know, you would think you would think that, okay, this is something that everybody will agree on condemning. And then yeah. you look in the comments and 40% of them are in favor or excusing it. And you're just and like, not only that, people protesters outside the hospital chanting that I they saw hope that. they die. It's it's it's, it's I, true I, evil. And I think I, I I like to think that maybe in ten years' time or so, these same people will look back and think, what happened? You know, did, did how did I lose my mind? Mm. Because I do consider it a kind of a kind of mass delusion. You know, I think about I think I mean, my family from Northern Ireland. They lived through the troubles, and and people there. You had normal people who, under any circumstances, wouldn't go out and plant bombs and shoot people. And and now, with retrospect, a lot of them are saying to themselves, "I don't know what happened there." You know, I I, I think this kind of mass delusion takes over, and people people do lose their minds. I do believe in redemption, though, ultimately. Yes. And I and I and I like to think that hopefully, even even the people who would who have murdered, 
in in this in this in the name of this cause will be able to one day realize what what they have done and 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 hopefully I don't want to sound all Christian, but repent, you know, just repent, you know. No, find I, a way. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I mean, I think that I, you know, I, I, I am a Christian and I think that there are in multiple ways. I think that there are a lot of religious themes and overtones in a lot of this stuff. Right. I well, think this, the, Yeah. Sorry. This, go ahead. No, it's just that this is something I've been thinking about a lot because in the, in the book I'm writing now where I'm because I've been I, for a long time I've been comparing the, the 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 woke wokeness to a religion and that's that has become a kind of generalized thing now that because it's an easy shortcut mm. it makes complete sense as an analogy but it's it's not really because it doesn't have any any of the good aspects of religion what it is is a the best analogy is a fundamentalist religion yes uh, that's what it is really one that has absolutely brooks no dissent whatsoever and and literally wants to destroy heretics now to the extent of wanting to kill heretics i mean really is there a difference between going up to innocent people in a car and shooting them because of the uniform they're wearing and burning a heretic at the stake i mean we're at that point now so those are the parallels that we we need to emphasize i think and actually the good things about Christianity, uh, the emphasis on forgiveness and redemption and, 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 and basic humanity and, and turning the other cheek. And th those are the, those are the things that this, this movement does not have yeah. at yeah. all. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that's worrying. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I mean, I've, I've been saying this for years and it actually, it's quite interesting to see a lot of people, um, who especially, you know, perhaps are more opposed to religion who, you know, I remember a few years ago were saying that, no, you, know, you can't compare these things, et cetera. And I'm like, no, like this is happening. And also the, like you said, the very positive aspects of certainly, you know, Christianity, which are, which, you know, whether, whether or not someone, you know, believes in God or is a Christian, et cetera, I, I don't think you can deny that in a country like the UK and lots of Western countries, a lot of our general belief systems and even laws and ideas and whatever, a lot of that is rooted in christian ideals and so yeah, yeah. for example like, and and one, one i think the most radical notion in christianity is love your enemy right yeah, that, that's the most radical one because i don't think that's something that you know some people will argue that you know all morality can be derived from just evolution or just general rationality etc and loving your enemy is not something that i don't think it's a conclusion you'd come to purely based on evolution or rationale or whatever because it doesn't on a surface level, it doesn't really make sense, right? If somebody is in opposition to you and they really don't like you, or whatever, you know, to turn the other cheek, to love your enemy, et cetera, like that's a really difficult, it's a very yeah. difficult commandment because the natural thing is to want to fire back, to want to retaliate, seek vengeance, et cetera, which is what people are doing. And they're doing it yeah. on a on a collective level, which is which is extremely dangerous, right? It's not even, okay, this individual harmed me. So I want to hurt this individual or I want to get back at them. It's this whole group of people, whether it's men, whether it's white people, whether it's white men, whether it's straight people, whether it's the police, whatever, this mm. whole group, just by being, just by your immutable characteristics, you are now wrapped up into this and you're somehow complicit. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you, Andrew, have never done anything. It, does, it doesn't matter, right? You are you are white and you are male. So therefore, um, you're just complicit in this thing. And it's like, that is such a, th that's, that's what, that's the kind of thinking that's led to the biggest atrocities in, in human oh. history and around the globe. Yeah. It's horrible. It's absolutely chilling. People don't, and like I said, people don't know their history. You know, one of the, one of the positives that I'm taking from what's going on at the moment in the past four, four months or so is that 
Well, no, this sounds arrogant. I don't mean this to be the case, but but in a sense, what I've been I've been proven right in terms of what I've been saying, and and fewer and fewer people are coming up to me and saying, "Oh, you're just because I used to get this all the time. You, you're fighting uh, basically a few students on campus, a few overzealous people in, in the dark recesses of the internet, just these culture warriors." I'm like, well. You know, this this will go mainstream and look at it now. It's everything. It's it's in politics, it's in education, it's in the arts, it's in the police, it's in the law. It's it's dominating everything now. And and fewer and fewer people are raising that with me. Yeah. Fewer people yeah. are challenging me and saying because they can't anymore because the evidence of what I've been saying is everywhere now. It, it and so and and I so the positive of this is that maybe we can now push back against it in a serious way because people are sick of it. So, yeah. like so many yeah. people are just sick of it and they're sick of capitulating um yeah. and, and so more and more we're getting that awesome yeah I, I think a lot of people don't recognize it until mm. it hits close to home i think that's the reality once someone sure, i mean once it hits close to home then people are suddenly like oh okay or when I it's your kids i reckon children will be the kid because now with with critical race theory coming into schools and and you see all these tweets from parents saying what's just happened my, my child's been told that they're racist because they're white what's going on and and they're pushing back and they're they're openly tweeting about it and they're they're going to the the, the head the head teachers and saying this isn't right and so actually that might be the breakthrough is that when you when it comes to people's kids don't mess around because yeah. that's that's when they'll stand up yeah it's, yeah, it's yeah. the basis yeah. most basic instinct of humankind and and that's and now that they're going for kids in terms of the books as well, I mean, like, like Anti-Racist Baby, that book by Ibram X. Kendi. And I mean, that book, I mean, you look at that book. I mean, it's only seven pages long, it's, you know, but it's, a, it's a, because it's a board book. It's what made from a big, thick board for little, little babies who won't understand. They won't know what this is about. And, and he asked people to send in pictures of their kids with the books. And there were like babies with Black Lives Matter T-shirts on holding this book. And you think, come on, they didn't pick that out themselves. <laughs> they didn't know what's going on. I mean, how is it? It's funny to me. I mean, it's sinister, but it's also funny. You know, that's why I wanted to write this children's book as Titania, because it, it's funny to me, the idea that you could make such a flagrant attempt at indoctrination and you don't have the self-awareness that pe people can see right through it. You know, it's 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 insane. I, I you know, I laugh and I also get upset. I'm, I'm with you. But I think that laughter and humor is so powerful. That's that's, you know, I think that's why what you do has resonated so much. I think it's why my deadlift tweet last year resonated so much because instead of just sort of getting angry and trying to use i i often say you can't use you can't use logic and reason to get yeah. someone out of a position that they reached just through emotion and irrationality right, right. so in a way i don't even think that arguing with it makes that much sense for people who are no. fully indoctrinated but taking those ideas and mm. satirizing them or just or just going along with them to an extreme whether that that's me constantly identifying as a white woman or that's you you know running a twitter account as a white woman yeah. <laughs> and, what are and you just, today are you are you a white woman today is that um, thing now it, it's not even on a daily basis for me it's more <laughs> it's more just in the moment um yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. so if i want to get a discount at the store sometimes i identify as white and i get the 20 percent white privilege discount right. um right. but if i want to claim the oppression points then i'm you know not just black but i'm also indigenous and um i have a disability that nobody can see so exactly. you know well, like jessica krug right she can uh, <laughs> that professor oh i love about that story that professor who who pretended to be black for all those years and as a result her career just blossomed <laughs> I, it did though like she got she got the top jobs and you think but I thought the narrative was that if you're black in America, you'll get absolutely nowhere. Why are people? 
that doesn't really make sense to me anyway that was insane you're you're, you're, you're <laughs> applying logic that's the that's the thing that's, she's like rachel dolezal times 100 though because with at least with rachel dolezal you know she wrote a book about you know i mean her parents are both what they're, they're the whitest people in the world basically and um but she i think has a genuine psychological disorder you know she i mean she wrote in this book about how when she was a children she used to draw pictures of herself and color them in with brown crayons rather than peach crayons and that because of course that's what all black people do that's what that's that's how you know you're black is you know but she believes it yeah. and and to, and hearing her being interviewed you think okay and then there were discussions on even major news networks in the, in america where people were saying well maybe it's possible to be black to, to be black if you choose to be black right this is we're in the realm of crazy i think with jessica krug though it was just opp opportunistic yeah. i think well we see that now because you know now when they say now when they say woman or they say black or they say person of color etc it'll have a little asterisk next to it and you scan down the page and it will say by black or by woman we mean people who identify as yeah. such you know that that's pretty standard I mean, now I, i've seen that in nus stuff student stuff that yeah. that came in a few years ago people who identify as black and i and no one will challenge you, of course. But then this makes it complicated because when in Edinburgh, the students had, this was last year, they had a resisting whiteness, um, ex, uh, so it's sort of like conference. And they said that only people of color were allowed to participate in the Q&A. <laughs> that was part of it. So they're getting it all confused because whiteness for them is like this weird nebulous thing. Okay, so, but then if you look white, but you identify as black, what if you're mixed race? Can you ask half a question or can you ask a question in a hushed tone? How, how do they determine? So either whiteness is a thing that anyone can enact, including people of color, or it is something you identify with skin color. They don't really know what it is. <laughs> That's well, what I like. Well, well, the same people will say that I'm not black and that I embody whiteness and white supremacy. So you do know, you get that a lot then? I get it a fair bit. <laughs> I, get it, I get it. I get it a fair bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I'll be honest. Like I said, I don't think the I think the solution is for everybody to go full Titania. I think the solution is for yeah, everybody. Maybe. I think I, I'm starting to think the solution is for everyone to just say, okay, these are the rules. You know, I think men should start going into women's changing rooms. I think that, um, I think everyone, I think if there's a, a an event for black people or people of color, I think loads of white people should come to it and identify, identify as black and identify with a struggle. I think that black people should be identifying as white and claiming <laughs> white privilege. I, I think everyone, if, if we're going to do it, I say like let's just let's just go full on lunatic, and I think within a week we'll be done. I think uh, within a week I'm, people will I, be like, you know what, this is maybe we should rethink. I, some I think that would work <laughs> if everyone did it, but I don't think you're going to get everyone to do it. <laughs> I, I think I think everyone should. I think the next time a white person is accused of white guilt or white fragility, I think they should say that they are indigenous and that they're a person mm -hmm. of color, and that you should not, you know, and you've misgendered them. I, I think people should. Um, I think people should but go wait. fully with it. Why has no one problematized Robin DiAngelo, by the way? Like, oh, so, I have. Oh, have you? Good. Because, <laughs> but why, why haven't the woke attacked her? You know, she's a white woman writing about race. I thought she had to stay in her lane. And making you know, what, like, 20 grand for speech for oh. going and lecturing people. So when people say to me, you know, you're, you have no, you are, you're not allowed to talk about race because you're white. I'm like, well, why does no one ever say that about Robin DiAngelo? Is it because she's saying the things that you agree with? Maybe. You know, this is the thing. I mean, that, and that book... I just, it, it's one of the worst books I've ever read. Yeah, I'm convinced really. she's the most racist woman in America. By her own admission, she's racist. That's, that's, what, that's what's yeah, funny. Yeah, and she's projecting it. She thinks that everyone else is like her, which they're not. So... The um, bit in the book that gets me is when she talks about 
being invited to a party and there's two two parties going on and it's a street party and, I, and she says on the one side there were mostly black people at this gathering and this other gathering mostly white people and she had this fit of anxiety or what if I've been invited to the black one you know and I think wow you are a racist right <laughs> and and she then thinks well this is the way white people respond this is what and I'm like I wouldn't have thought that exactly exactly don't talk for me. Like you're the you're the crazy racist woman. Yeah, she, she's she's projected her own insecurities and internal racism onto the entire white population. Well, and I people, suppose it makes it easy. And people have accepted it. That's the thing, you know. People have accepted. That's it. weird as well. Exactly. Like, but but I get it. Like, I suppose if you're innately racist because of your whiteness, then it kind of absolves you of responsibility for your terrible thoughts. It, it means it, it absolves her of the responsibility of, of reflecting on why she has such a negative view of black people. Why is it when when she's at that conference and and um, she describes I can't remember, it's late in the book where she describes how uh, some one of her colleagues left or someone walked out and she turned to a colleague a black woman and she said oh maybe they left because of your hair and I think <laughs> well, and then wow. she says my conclusion was that I have to reflect on my racist racism and I'm thinking yes you do because that statement wouldn't have occurred to me in a million years. And I don't know many white people. In fact, I don't know any white people who would have thought that, or even not only that, but had had the gumption to say it yeah. out loud. I mean, you know, like so. Why, you know, why are we platforming this racist? Why, none, why? Of, none of it makes sense. This is coming from the same people who will say that you know we need more black voices, we need more melanated yeah. voices, etc. And then as soon as I say something, you know, they'll be telling me to sit down and shut up, and that I should be I should be cancelled, and perhaps I'm not perhaps I'm not even really black. Um, despite having like the most African sounding name in the entire world, if you hear the full version of it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think like people, I, I do think that I, I think people need to stop taking it so seriously in a way. Mm. Like, I think it should be taken seriously as in it needs to be dealt with, but people with these ridiculous ideas and ridiculous concepts and who are just just spouting nonsense you know when you when you see these tweets and it does look like something that titania wrote and it's just it's just some blurb of complete nonsense and instead yeah. of people going like wow this is amazing we should pay attention to this person and how one like it should all i, I think it should be mocked i think it should be satirized yeah, yeah. it should just be like this is this is just insanity you know when people yeah. are talking about how owning a dog is a sign of white supremacy because it makes you feel like you have have a slave or something i'm just i'm like what planet are you what are, what are you that, even talking about or or that thing that came out in the museum in a uh, us where they were talking about um symbols of whiteness and it included things like logic um rationality uh, timekeeping that's one of the most racist things i've ever seen <laughs> i was so offended i, I was like i was like wait oh. <laughs> Um, but or, yeah, exactly. Just list loads of positive characteristics and say that <laughs> imply that black people have no right. To... Oh, come on. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Mockery. And the thing is, they know it. They know that mockery can damage them. Right. And that's why yeah. they go after comedy. That's why that, that you see it all the time. This problematizing jokes, problematizing comedians, you know, saying that all of this stuff normalizes hate and all the rest of it. They they know they know because it because yeah. it, it makes them figures of fun. And and everyone's always every tyrant in history has killed the comics has killed the clowns you know mm, that's mm, what it is right. so uh, yeah so, i think you're right yeah so what was it that made you decide to, to create the titania mcgrath account and why has it been suspended so many times 
So I think that's partly what I'm saying about uh, the tyrants and their fear of being mocked. Um, and that's why they suspend it, because obviously Twitter is super woke and, 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 and it's difficult for them to suspend it because obviously their algorithms won't pick up on this. You know, she, she, her hatred for white men and, <coughs> and uh, straight people and all the rest of it, well, they're fine with that. And because she's literally saying that, it's difficult for them to ban it. Because it, to ban it, it means they have to understand the irony. Well, they, of course they do. And so therefore, they use any excuse. Whenever she gets suspended, I get an email saying, this is the tweet you've been suspended for. And you look and you think there's nothing... That, sometimes it's the, the most innocuous of her tweets, you know, by her standards. And you think uh, they're just using any old excuse. Um, so I don't know. But the reason I set it up was precisely this reason. I mean, Twitter is the forum where the, the social justice activists operate. It is their battlefield. And so my view was to satirize that it should be through Twitter. It should be on their own turf. Um, and for a long time, because so many people were taking it absolutely seriously, it, that it had that kind of effect. And, and, and now it's a different thing because, because most people know, although even today people still think it's real um, because it's too, it's too close to what they actually say. And even, even sometimes when people say to me, oh, well, this one you've said, no one would ever say this. And then three months later they do. And you, you think, okay. And you, you see the other day, um, this American bookstore, had a, a, um, a collection of its favourite books, a, a present, it's like a stand, a presentation of all its favourite books about diversity and inclusion. And Ibram X. Kendi was there and Robin D'Angelo and the rest of it. And then Titania McGrath's first book was there proudly on the stand. Amazing. And when people, this sort of went a bit viral and people started going at them and um, Tim Poole did a podcast about it. And then, um, then they took it off their stand, obviously, but not only that, they took it off their website. So you can't even buy the book there anymore. When they realized it was actually an, an enemy interloper, a Trojan horse in, in their world, uh, they, they got rid of it. So the fact that they couldn't tell the difference is incredible if you think about it. I mean, look, the first chapter of that book, her book Woke, is about her life. And the, the first chapter is called My Struggle. And the fact that they didn't see, they couldn't even see what that was and what, what I'm saying there. It, it's, <laughs> is ludicrous you just have to flick through but then maybe they don't see no, you know maybe yeah. maybe they don't no well it's it's the thing is it's so ludicrous that it's it's borderline impossible to yeah. tell the difference between satire and reality i have seen some of these accounts on twitter especially a lot of them do are verified accounts and mm. they're just saying the i'm just reading it like what wait does this person really are, are, is, are they re do they really believe this or or it's just this word salad of just just words they've just thrown together from yeah. various sociologists over the past 50 years and it's just this hodgepodge that that doesn't mean anything and you're just like you know and then you look at the comments and people are like yes this is amazing this is brave this is stunning um i'm with you sister etc and you're just like what I, I, that's the whole thing about that sociology the, 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 i mean that whole area uh, of academia, which uses basically buzzwords instead of thinking, mm -hmm. so it's, it's 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 a substitute for thought. You can you can you you can just throw the right words out, and they've been doing this for years. When when I was when I was an undergraduate, it was about using the right words, using the words like discursive and hegemony or whatever you know, and then and then it would get my my supervisor for my doctorate at Oxford said to me um, that most of these books, these academic books about queer theory or, or gender studies, they get published because they, they're just strings of this sort of word salad jargon, just completely obscurantist nonsense. And the publishers don't understand it. And the publishers don't want to say, I don't know what any of this means because they'll look stupid. I mean, it's, it's a trick, you know, so don't yeah. try. I've seen those. I mean, most of the most of the academics on Twitter, the blue check ones, especially they're 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 activists masquerading as academics. And 
once you learn their language and do the reading, you realize they've got nothing. They're just talking to each other and they're just repeating each other's phrases. And, and uh, they try and intimidate people with the, with the jargon. That's what they're doing. They're basically saying, I'm an expert. You're not. You don't understand these concepts. So when I talk about whiteness, I'm not talking about what you think of as whiteness. When I talk about anti-racism, I don't mean opposed to racism. I've invented a whole new thing uh, of uh, anti-racism, which you won't understand. So just... It's a, it's a, it's an intimidatory tactic, and I think um, that's why I like having the arguments with academics because they can't do it to me. I know, I know what these words mean. I know what they mean by these words, and I've done the same reading, and it bothers them. It, that's why they hate James Lindsay oh, because yeah, he's yeah. read, oh, yeah. he's read more of this woke nonsense than they have. So they, they can't, they can't catch him out like that and try and trick him. With, I mean, this is no different than I've made this analogy before, but you know, there was a time when the, the Catholic Church burnt uh, William Tyndall at the stake because they didn't want the Bible in the vernacular, because they didn't want uh, the people making up their own minds and reading scripture for themselves. They wanted to be able to say, no, we are the ones, we are the ones who are, have the, the esoteric knowledge and we will tell you what to think. And that often meant misinterpretations of the Bible. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, most definitely. Where do you think things are going to be in 2025? In five years from now, right. how do you think the sort of social cultural political climate is going to be do you think we'll be in a better place or do you think that this is potentially gonna you know because because this has happened quickly like you said you started noticing this in 2015 so from 2015 to here it's happened quickly so in another five years where do you think things will be so best case scenario is that uh, people are going to wake up to this stuff. People are going to as you say start mocking it start standing up not capitulating is the key so you know when when um when your boss calls you in for an anti-racist diversity workshop, studies are now showing that the, the, these actually do make more racists. Lo and behold. Yeah, uh, who could have thought it, you know? Yeah. And then, um, yeah. so more and more people are going to start saying, no, I'm not doing it. Sorry, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to have you tell me that I'm a racist when I'm not. More than that, I'm not going to have unconscious bias sessions. Doesn't matter about what I think. You have no right in a liberal society to be probing around in my head, right? You just, like, so stuff like this people more and more people and maybe in five years it'll just have gone away and what will the best case scenario is people will say to me and people like me and people like you oh you were making a fuss about nothing what a waste of time that was and and uh, all your books and all your all your articles and all the rest of it are just wasted were just a waste of time that's best case scenario that i'm out of a job in that respect you know um and i'm fine with that I, i'd rather the world change <laughs> in that direction and and all of the and i can go on to writing about other stuff that I'm really excited about that, you know, I, I'm, I'm writing about this stuff now because I feel I have to. Yeah. Um, but I'd love nothing more than to be able to write about, go back to writing about literature and, 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 and other political issues, which are really important. Economic inequality. I mean, they don't care about that, but I do. You know, I think I think this <laughs> this sort of stuff, they don't. They really don't, by the way. They have that. The privilege for them is all about identity. Yes. You know, whereas, of course, the, the key point of privilege is, is how much money you have and how you, you know, obviously it's just it's, it's a no brainer. So I think um, maybe that or it will go the other way. And and what makes me very nervous is is the American situation, because Biden and the Democrats have completely bought into identity politics in this big, big way. Yes, uh, yes. Kamala Harris has a, obviously is overt about that. And and even Biden himself has called himself the transitional president i think they're, they're voting for kamala I harris i mean the the fact that she's even the vice president like not well the vice sorry the vice presidential nominee hmm. based on her immutable characteristics well he, she hangs in the presidentials yeah, she, but, she, she isn't yeah. pop, she wasn't popular no no, no. i mean I really biden, biden said my vice president is going to be a woman like he said that months ago and he said and most likely oh and you know and then people said well it must be a woman of color 
So she was got... literally picked based on her immutable characteristics, not because they actually think she's the best person for the Yeah, I, I think he was cornered by Charlemagne the God, I think it was, who cornered him into it should be a black woman. You know, because I think he'd said it'll be a woman. And then it was, well, now it'll be a black woman. And, and okay, well, why not just choose the best candidate? And if it's a black woman, great. Like, no one will care. They, they'll care about... Well, also, I'd... also you know, she kind of called him a rapist. Um, and a racist. And, and a racist. And a racist. So, yeah, she had that whole conversation about the segregation of schools. And, 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 and so, yeah, that's a pretty big... Di- so I think it's quite clear he didn't want to pick her. Like, I, I think, I think it's a, you know, if someone called me a, a racist rapist, I probably wouldn't give them a cushy job. You know, so I don't think he wanted to, but he feels he has. But that what this does mean is effectively now, you know, I'm I'm not a supporter of Trump because I, I believe in statesmanship and I don't, you know, I think he's very funny, but I don't want the president to be funny. You know, I want, you know, that's the thing. So I, I do. <laughs> okay, okay. I think one it, thing I, think I do it, like. I think it undermines the entire thing to some degree, which I actually think is good. Well, the Maybe. thing that I like is, is the extent that he annoys all the right people, but he also... He also does annoy the wrong people. And I think, I, you know, I don't think he's very good at diplomacy. And, uh, um, and I think... Peace well, in that's the Middle it. East. Peace in the Middle I know. East. I was about, I was about to say that. Peace Israel, Dubai. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, okay. Um, but, but even so, I still don't think that the leader of the free world should be calling another leader fat on Twitter. <laughs> right? So that's just my... I don't think that's, I don't think that's diplomatic, personally. Particularly when they've got a nuclear arsenal. But... But that said, that said, yeah. what if a buffoon like Trump is the is the defense against the complete destruction of Western civilization? Right. So I don't know. Like, I, I honestly, I couldn't vote for him, but I, I couldn't vote Democrat either. Luckily, I'm absolved of that responsibility because sure. I'm over here, you know. But yeah. either way, I think it will exacerbate the tensions because if you buy into the woke stuff to the extent that the Democrats have, things are going to get worse and worse and worse and more and more illiberal. But if you... But Trump, if Trump gets in again, they'll t- again they'll double down. They'll take that as pr- further proof that they're in the fascist nation, and things will escalate anyway. That's what makes me nervous. I think, I think, and I can't see a way out of it. So, to go back to your question, where will we be in five years? I think whatever the outcome of the election, it's going to be disastrous. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm not. You know, I like to be optimistic, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. What no, do you I, think, man? I mean, I'm very much an optimist by nature. I'm very much an optimist by nature, but I'm an optimistic realist. Um, And I think, I really think it depends on the so-called silent majority. I think it it depends on people collectively just being like, you know what, no. Like you said, you know, people want to take you in for unconscious bias training. People want to force you to, um, before a meeting begins, you know, make, um, do a prayer where you admit your confess to your whiteness and your guilt and your inherent racism and whatever before the meeting begins like when people are just like you know what no like you said when people when their school teachers are wanting to teach their six-year-olds you know teach the white kids that they're privileged teach the black kids that they're oppressed and that there's all these dynamics in society that are going to benefit them or set them back etc i think when people just collectively not just the culture warriors not just the political pundits not just the people but just the normal people because if you talk to people in real life very few people these ideas are not popular they're not popular the idea that you should judge someone based on their skin color or that you know 
white people are evil or white men are the devil or this or that or, you know, men in general are having weekly patriarchy meetings, putting the boot down on women. White people are putting the boot down. Th these ideas are they're really not popular. Like even no. even amongst people who are more liberal, more left leaning, they're, they're not popular ideas. But people feel people feel cowed, really. People are we got over it, didn't we? Through yeah. the whole civil rights struggle, we, we had these debates. We, exactly. we moved on this. Exactly. The problem you're going to face, though, is that a lot of people, particularly in the UK, are going to say to you, yeah, but that sort of stuff, you know, the prayer of contrition about your whiteness before me, that isn't happening. What's that? Because that is happening in America and isn't happening yet here. But the problem you've got for these people is that now that for instance white fragility by d'angelo is so popular over here now that well not popular but you know i've got a teachers have contacted me saying it's on their reading list now mm -hmm. right so it's only a matter of time so at the moment there are teachers out there and people out there who, who aren't familiar with this they haven't been confronted with it yet and then it's going to start creeping in it's inevitable because it's 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 certainly taken over the universities in the uk mm -hmm. so and and now we know that it's it's seeping into schools so how long before so, so that's the pushback you'll get as well. This is in your head. This is, you know, you're importing a problem that isn't that's in America and that isn't here, but it, it will be here very, very soon. Yeah, I, I think eventually people, I just think eventually people have to wake up. And, you know, people might have, like I said, it, it may have to just hit very close to home. I know a lot of people who totally refuse to accept that there are sort of any issues on the left side of the political spectrum. <laughs> um, you know, conservative types, you know, I've been talking about this for forever. And yeah. people have been saying that it's a slippery slope fallacy or that, you know, they're being unnecessarily concerned about certain things and et cetera. And, you know, there can be cases where perhaps that's been true. Um, sure. But in a lot of cases, people have been proven right. You know, things people were saying 10 years ago or five years ago are now coming to light. I remember in 2016 having a discussion with people because um, I started to see the whole, um, you know, uh, biological men competing against biological women in sports by identifying as women or saying mm -hmm. they're trans or what I, I'd seen that I, I saw that happening years ago and I remember having conversations with friends and saying you know what like if you can just identify as a man or identify as a woman like this is going to open a whole Pandora's box of craziness but they would have said to you that yeah. you're you're fighting an imaginary enemy exactly they did then, yeah, they did you know, Stonewall even Stonewall so the major LGBT charity in this country has now said there's no issue with with uh, biological men playing women's rugby. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's just physically dangerous. You know, <laughs> so so you were right, basically. Yeah, I was that's right. I mean, look, I'm the British women's deadlift record holder. Like you are. I am. You're, 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 you're speaking to her. So anyone who was saying that <laughs> that I was being alarmist <laughs> or that I was making something up, it's like, well, yeah. you know, lo and behold, no, I, I'm not. And you don't need to you really don't need to be a, a a genius to work out the potential danger and implications right of this you and, know especially when they're talking about sports they're talking yeah. about prisons they're talking, and what's it, fascinating it, about this now is the alliances that are happening so i mean you know people who are traditionally on the left and the right finding each other and saying actually no but we all agree <laughs> that this is nonsense feminists of course most notably are, are you know feminists who have uh would really be in opposition to a lot of the points that I've made in the past, but now we're on side because of the, the trans issue and they see the threat. So, you know, and that's been really interesting. I mean, now the LGBTQIA plus acronym or whatever you want to call it has no function anymore because of course uh, the various factions within that are, are at loggerheads. It doesn't work. You can't have, you know, you can't, when Stonewall is redefining homosexuality is to mean same gender attraction rather than same sex attraction oh, wow. that's that's a homophobic statement coming from the leading gay rights charity right so you're gonna you're going to have 
a problem. Transgenderism isn't a sexuality, right? So, so it doesn't make sense to be part of the initialism there. So you you have these conflicts, and you can deny it all you like, but you know it, they're there, you know. And and this sort of finger in the ear, I'm not going to listen about this stuff at all. It's, it's not getting anything. We need to have a discussion about a sensible adult discussion about the 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 the, 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 the conflict of rights that exist. Uh, within that between between women and who want their own spaces and between trans people and i do believe that everyone should have equal rights but when there's a conflict of rights you need to have a discussion not say we don't have the debate because you're shutting down my right to exist this incredible inflammatory rhetoric you're erasing my existence no one is erasing you they just want to talk to you yeah and that's that's different yeah, you know, trans people are human too, as if anyone ever denied that. No one denies that. Yeah, exactly. they, 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 they like to say things that no one is, you know, argue against things that no one is arguing the opposite side of. Yeah. With all that said, I have, um, I'm going to posit a theory that mm-hmm. a lot, I don't think anyone has, I, I've, ne- I've never seen anyone publicly put this forward, but it's something that I've okay. been thinking about for a while. Um, and I cannot help but notice that where a lot of this madness started was following the legalization of same-sex marriage. And I have a theory that, look, up until this point, like up until that point, there was always something in the law Mm -hmm. that one could argue is discriminatory in the UK, in the USA, etc., yeah. against a certain group of people right and so if you know for the, the decade leading up to that you know the the gay rights the, sorry the gay the gay marriage issue was mm-hmm. a big issue of liberals and the left yeah. right and Both that was points. something that you know because that was something in the in, in the legal system that you know regardless of someone's views on that you could argue okay that is a discriminatory law yeah. and once that battle was won i think that you had millions and millions of activists and people who are on the left and liberals etc who actually for the first time in history there is no obvious fight right so that begs begs the question why can't people admit when they've won i think why why do you want to be oppressed yeah yeah i think that's what's happened though i think like people haven't really looked up and realized maybe we're fighting an invisible enemy here i know douglas murray said something like that um, and I think that's I think that's the case. I think that for so long, all the time, you know, there was the fight for um, you know the suffragette movement. There was the yeah. you know, the waves of feminism. There was the racial justice movement, civil rights, gay rights, etc. And for the first time, and in the first place on the world in history, you could actually look at the British law, and I think you would struggle. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but I think you would struggle to find oh. the. The, the one thing I can think of <laughs> is that uh, perhaps men can be topless in public, and I'm not sure if women can be. I think that's like the only law, as far as I'm aware, that you could see on the books and perhaps say, okay, this is not totally applied equally. But yeah. apart from that, maybe I'm missing something, but I'm not aware of anything else. And I think that there are so many people now who are activist-minded and who are social justice-minded who want to fight for some – they want to fight for <laughs> something – and they're not sure what that is. So I think that's why you've seen Extinction Rebellion creeping up. I think that's why you've seen BLM. I think that's why you've seen the whole trans thing. You know, like people weren't talking about trans stuff even just eight years ago. It wasn't It wasn't on the right. radar. It would make sense in terms of um, why the focus now is on, on these nebulous things like systemic oppression or institutional oppression, things that 
you you don't need to pin down you don't need to give data for you know it's because obviously the systems are not like you say the systems are equitable now the systems are not against anyone Mm -hmm. you know and so you could say so so yes uh, yeah I, i suppose it's that thing about fighting finding a new enemy yeah, you know, yeah, it, I it, think it is because uh, the because the timing coincides. The timing really yeah. coincides because prior to that, it was always you know if if people were pushing for something on that side, it was always like the you know certainly in the you know I think the whole LGBT acronym is yeah yeah it's a, a bit of a problem in itself. But in that world, it was always okay. We want you know we want equal we want equal marriage laws. We want equal marriage. Yeah. That that was always. That was the thing, you know, for a lot, large part oh, yeah, of my absolutely. lifetime. That was the thing, and then it was like, okay, that barrier fell down. Okay, you got that. I think and it really upset me like... as well that it, it came from a conservative government. I think that's what really, <laughs> really bothered people. <laughs> that's, we've gone, we've gone so far that the right are pushing through this stuff. So then, so what have you got to complain about now? You know, yeah. and then you, and then what will happen, particularly with with the. With, with gay rights activists, as they'll point to instances of homophobia and attacks and that kind of thing. But we, everyone agrees they're wrong. Exactly. Like every, everyone agrees they're wrong. And they are, by the way, illegal. Yes. Uh, you know, so, so w- when that happens, we, we, we do something about it. We find the culprits and, and they are charged. Now, they're far less frequent when, when I was a teenager. Those oh, sort yeah. of things were happening a lot more, you know. Um, it, it wasn't, we weren't openly gay as young people. We were, you know, most gay people I knew as a youngster were in the closet. By necessity, sure. even small things like walking through town with your holding another guy's hand would have got you in trouble, right? And that won't be the case anymore. It isn't the case anymore. So, this this thing about and this is why I mentioned earlier about you know Jim Crow, for instance, and obviously that is systemic racism where you have a system built to to enact racism, right? Yes. But yes. but that's not what we have now. And and what what makes me very nervous is the denial of the truth. So. Um, last October, the Guardian had a front front cover headline talking about how racism in in UK universities is endemic. That's the word it used. And then the data that they themselves cited proved that it was basically non-existent. This was so bizarre to me. They'd they'd surveyed all these universities and they they calculated the number of complaints of racism per year. It came out something like 0.5. It, it was honestly infinitesimal. The, the headline should have been, "Isn't it wonderful?" That, we, that racism basically doesn't exist in universities anymore. But they spun it exactly the other way. And what they were saying was, uh, this this is evidence that the lived experience of people isn't being recognised through the data or isn't being... this. Or, so, like, the lack of evidence is evidence for you. Yeah. This backward thinking. So, if you make a charge of systemic racism, I like to think that's the start of a discussion, not the end of a discussion. That's, that require, that's a serious accusation. It needs some evidence-based thinking it needs some interrogation it can, but at the moment as you'll notice it's simply asserted as a truth yes. and that's yes. that, like Sadiq Khan says London is a systemically racist city what are you that, talking that's about? obviously how he became mayor clearly clearly <laughs> what are you talking? And, 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 yeah. and, and, and the evidence is always the same but look there's this racist attack here this person shouted this racial slur on the tube but yeah racism still exists and there will always be idiots who will behave badly and should be prosecuted if they break the law, right? So that's we we know that no one's no one's trying to minimise that, as they say. But yeah. but that yeah. taking that as evidence as something that is built in and systemic and applying it to all white people and saying there's a thing called whiteness in society which needs to be overturned. I mean, this, these incredible leaps of the imagination, which are so unhelpful and divisive. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, last point on that, I think um, a big problem with it as well is that it creates. Um, it creates an invisible enemy, whereas mm. you actually have an ally in reality. So 
again, um, you know, not trying to rail on the left too much, but, you know, a lot of people on the left, a lot of liberals still have this idea that in general, people on the right or conservatives in general, they have this idea that they're exact same as, you know, people who would have been conservatives in the 1940s, right? Yeah. And so they have this idea that, you know, there are two sides and one side is against racism and the other one is for it. And it's like, no, that's not, everyone is against it. Apart from like some fringe weirdos on both sides, everybody is opposed to racism. Everybody, like no one, I'm not seeing people on the right suggesting that, you know, black people or gay people or women should be beaten up or being abused or like no absolutely not but when people again yeah but when people come up come up with these ideas and you're now sort of it's like a weapon that you're using because if you say institutional racism or sexism or you know structural or systemic or whatever and you make an assertion about that and someone Mm -hmm. challenges it you can now frame them as if oh this person is totally denying that racism exists or that they somehow support it or that they support sexism or whatever. Right. Um, you know, the LGBT groups do this as well, where they'll say, you know, anyone who has any question or any concern regarding anything to do with, I don't know, uh, you know, transgender people in sport or, you know, changing room things or stuff involving transitioning children or whatever that they are, you know, I've been called homophobic for saying that I don't think, four-year-olds should be picking their gender or that you should be putting them on hormone blockers etc right i'm it's like such a leap isn't it to say where did you get that one from you know what i mean it's just reservoir. well that's the white fragility argument the, you know that all white people are fragile and if they deny that they're racist that just proves that they're racist it's it's this circular yeah i mean we've got to get over that i saw that activist i can't remember her name she was on you know, philip schofield in the whatever that show is in the morning and and he was saying he's saying to her what is the evidence that the media has a racist problem with Meghan Markle? what's the evidence for that and her response was even the fact that you're asking that question is evidence of the institutional racism against Meghan Markle. so so this inability to have the discussion and to have the debate is absolutely infuriating isn't it yes it's nuts. educate yourself but it's not my job to educate you yeah. Oh, that one as well. Exactly. <laughs> words, well. I love it when they say read a book, read what you mean is read, read the two books that you've read in your life. You know, the, the, the last thing these people do is read. They certainly don't read widely and they certainly don't read to challenge themselves. Unfortunately, I, I do have to read all this stuff. So I read the Reniedo Lodges of this world, you know, and I, I, I do this because I want to know what it is I'm satirizing. So I'm steeped in this stuff. I've recently got a new book. I'm ready. It's come through called Is Free Speech Racist? That's the title of that book. Wow. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go in with an open mind, but I'm guessing the answer is no. I could write um, that book. But... I could write that book in in a page. Yeah. Just no, one, it's not one word book. One <laughs> word book. <laughs> but yeah, but obviously this book is making making the counter argument. Free speech. Yeah. Imagine writing a book, making the argument that free speech is a racist thing. I mean, and that getting published. Mm-hmm. So people sitting around the publishing room saying, "Yeah, this looks like a good thing to publish." That's the that's where we're at. Yep. It's so, that, and it's that amnesia again, because how did civil rights even come about? Right, exactly. And and if you want evidence of, the, of exactly what you're saying, I mean, you know, recently when the uh, incoming director general of the BBC, Tim Davies, said this point about how he wanted more parity, political parity. He wanted he wanted a more left and right. You know, he wanted more diversity of opinion. And all of the all of the right as left wing commentariat, people like Owen Jones, people on Twitter, everyone going, well, they were saying, oh, you want to go back to Bernard Manning in the 1970s telling racist jokes. It's like that's their frame of reference for a conservative comic. I would challenge anyone, find me one conservative stand-up comic who is a racist who's on the circuit today. On the circuit today, you won't find one. 
not one. So this is this figment of their imagination that there's all these, you know, rabid, foaming at the mouth, right wing racist comics who just want to get on TV to to have a go at black people. It's like you are your mind is like 50 years out of date. Just, you know, <laughs> it's so weird to me. Seriously, man, Andrew. Yeah. It's been we could we could talk about this for a long time, but um, I'm conscious I'm conscious of your time, and I, I want to be respectful of it. But where can people find you online? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, of course. Unfortunately, Andrew Doyle underscore com. Um, all this Titania McGrath at just at Titania McGrath, uh, and you can find I've got a website, AndrewDoyle.co.uk, and you know Titania's books are they're all on Amazon, you know, because she wants to fight capitalism, so uh, you can get her book there. <laughs> That's awesome. where you'll find me. Where do the profits go? Where do the profits? Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> they to, yeah, they go to her. You know, you'd like to think that she had this sort of uh, credibility to to give it all away to charity, but uh, okay. it, it, she's not really principled. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Been really good to talk to you, bro. Thanks a lot. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm desperate for fame. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.